0: Boop <laughs> of the cinema. Who are you? I'm Alonzo Duraldi. You are Dave White. We are film critics and we are uh, spouses. Yeah. And this is
1: our show. Have we talked about uh, your your film critic job situation? Did we Uh, talk about that the last time or the time uh, before? I don't think we have. Not last
0: time because we were talking about
1: uh, the Jesus Revolution. Alonzo Duraldi. Is formerly yes. the film reviews editor uh, for The Wrap. Correct. Dot com.
0: I was there for 12 years. It was uh, a wonderful place to be and uh, a, a site that I think is still terrific. But uh, there were some changes afoot regarding how reviews are being assigned, how many reviews are being assigned. Yep. Payment for said reviews. Yep. And so it just seemed like uh, the right time to go. But, you know. I Triple wish, yup. I wish everyone there all the best. And um, I can now concentrate on getting this book finished. And then yes. once the book is finished, I will have other other irons in the fire. Watch this space.
1: <laughs> I only have one iron. And it's in the office. And it's where I iron things. You also have an uh, that goop stuff that cleans the iron that stuff's really good, yeah, I didn't even know it was a thing you it can is. there's this little iron cleaner that you can buy, yeah, and when your iron gets kind of gunky on the thing you know on the, on the little on scorchy the hot part, marks and stuff yeah, you know? and yeah. you can and it cle- you can clean your iron and it becomes perfect again, yeah, um lest you worry about you know getting right. something on your white shirts, you yeah. Know? You ever ruined a shirt with your iron because your iron was like, "Hey, I'm full of group group right now," and and you've got like, gropple. Dang you, iron. Well, now, not not now. You can clean your iron. You've always been able to clean your iron. I just didn't know it until I bought bought the stuff uh, to do. This is a homemaking tip from me. Dave White, welcome to Home Comfort. Home Comfort, starring me. Um. Yeah, and I used to iron while watching Wendy Williams. Mm. But that those days are over. Alas. I'm sad about it still.
0: You're looking for a new daytime. No, I'm not. Because
1: nope. now that I do it in the office, I just listen to records. Okay. One entire side of an album mm-hmm. is one entire reservoir of steam Oh, in the iron. And that is... The only amount of time that I want to iron. Because Fair. after that amount of time, I'm like, you know what? I've been on my feet for too long. Sitting down would be great. I have to say, I see the appeal.
0: I, I had to iron some napkins for a dinner party recently and
1: <laughs> threw on an Enec Light record. And it was people, like, yeah. People are like, you did what? You ironed your what? I can tell you all something. We're a cloth napkin home. That's right. Um I mean, you know, if it's just us, we're a cloth napkin home. And here's the problem with having cloth napkins. They come out of that washing machine. And if you have a dryer, you know, sometimes even can come out of the dryer all wrinkledy. Now, you got some guests coming over. Do you want to give them a wrinkledy up napkin? You do not. You do not. You want to give them a nice crisp. A, ni- a nice pressed crisp napkin. Fresh. Yeah. If you're going to be hosting people at your home, make it nice. Yeah. So I have all the napkins. They get ironed. Yes. Now, we're not wild about this. Like, I remember once watching Oprah where she talked about... uh, She had some homemaking person on her show. It's about the bed sheets. This is the sheets. (laughs) And it is that day that I learned... That Oprah has her sheets changed in her home like every other day or every third day. And they are ironed. She has her sheets ironed. Now, it is not Oprah who is doing the ironing of these sheets. Uh, A (laughs) a person who works for Oprah is ironing Oprah's sheets. You might have too much money if... (laughs) But so what I'm trying to say here is we are not ironing our bed sheets. No. But if you're coming over and you're gonna have dinner at our house and you're gonna have a cloth napkin on your plate, you know, I'm gonna have a little I'm gonna press it for five seconds. Yeah. And it's gonna be nice. You will remember <laughs> every time you wipe the, your mouth. The beauty of eating dinner in my house. <laughs> Uh, okay so before we begin talking to movies yes. movies I should tell uh y'all that there are going to be some noises oh yeah during this show and you might not they might not pick up on the mic but they are certainly happening Boy, because we're hearing them our downstairs neighbor just moved out yeah and so they are currently in the process of tearing uh the apartment uh, into shreds, apparently. It's Based so, on the noise, It sounds yes. like they're taking a jackhammer to the walls. It's and... like they're
0: crumpling up the entire apartment.
1: <laughs> so that they can smooth it back down. <laughs> yeah, so they can iron it like a napkin. <laughs> and and it has been nonstop, like, miniature bum, bum, explosions bum. taking place downstairs. So if you hear something like that on this podcast of the cinema, yes, that's what's going on. We also have two visitors. Yeah. Home guest visitors. Uh Alonzo's uh two of my three sisters Two are of here. Alonzo's three sisters are here. Uh, boy, do they clonk around? They do. It's like roller derby. Sheesh. <laughs> Anvil juggling. Time. All that all that in all that high decibel knitting going on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we got some movies to talk about. That is why we're here. And we're going to go in order of their release, because some of these are, we're still playing some Mm catch-up on some things. And what day is this? March 6th. Oh, hey, it's the three-year anniversary.
0: Oh, wow. Of that
1: three-year anniversary of the time I went to Kaiser Urgent Care on March 6th of 2020. We started the lockdown early. And I had a little bit of a cough. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) I had a little bit of a cough and a little bit of of a problem with my body. And I didn't know what it was. So I went to Kaiser and I said, hey, I'm sick. And they said, yeah, we call this sinusitis. Because at that moment, they weren't just telling everybody, Oh hey, there's a global pandemic about to crush the entire planet. So, whatever you got, it's something we already know, not this new thing yeah. that's coming up. Uh So we we got the jump on not leaving the I got house. the jump on not leaving the home and I got the jump on having covid before lots of people <laughs> cuz I guarantee to you, I had covid. Yeah, that was the beginning of some nasty business. March 2020. It was it was a harrowing experience that did not involve me going to the hospital, uh, but did involve me being absolutely miserable and having difficulty breathing for several days. Yeah. Uh, so, um, with today's that third year uh, yeah. anniversary, I I like to call, I'm going to start calling it the third year anniversary of us. Actually surviving the global pandemic. There you go. Which was not always a given. Right. Uh, when it, it got rolling. We'll put an upbeat spin on it. Yes. So where was I going with this? Oh, it's March no 6th. Idea, it's <laughs> March 6th. And so here's what's happening. There is a film that was released in January. And that film uh, is called *Skinamarink*. Him a Rink is the debut feature from Kyle Edward Ball. He is a Canadian filmmaker. It is based on a short that he made a couple of years ago called Heck. Uh-huh. And what happened was he was on YouTube making little short films about nightmares that people would describe to him. One of them became uh, the short film Heck. Mm-hmm. And Heck was developed into Skinnamarink. Gotcha. He is, did I say he was Canadian? Because he is Canadian. Okay. He shot Skinamarink on a budget of, get this now, $15,000. Wow. So I'm thinking about, you know, like uh, uh, El Mariachi. Which was $7,000 in the yeah. 90s. This is the equivalent of $7,000 of the 90s. Sure. Yeah. This is a micro budget. Yeah. He shot it in his childhood home. Hmm. He shot it with props that were still in his childhood home. So he grew up in the 90s, and his mom saved all these toys. Hmm. So all of the toys he had as a kid were used as props in the film, which is set in 1995. There are four people in the movie. You never see them. You see occasionally the back of a head, a foot, an arm, a blurry face, but never a a complete, you know, human face. There's a mother, there's a father, there are two children. The two children's names are Kaylee and Kevin. And they are little kids. Mister Ball was influenced uh, by his own uh, uh, account, web series by his own account. Oh. He was influenced by Michael Snow's 1967 experimental classic *Wavelength*. Michael Snow, also a Canadian filmmaker, the plot of Skinnamarink is that two children wake up in the night to a dark house. Their parents are missing. The doors and the windows of the home disappear. They are trapped in the house. And though the parents are missing, something else is in the house. We don't know exactly what. We never see it. But there is at least a presence in the house. Occasionally, that presence takes on uh, a voice and it will talk to the kids. And it will say things (laughs) like, Kevin, go to the basement. The voice will also say things like, Kevin, Kaylee didn't do what she was told, so I took away her mouth. (laughs) For the first 40 minutes of this film, almost nothing happens. Okay. And when I say almost nothing happens, what I mean is there's a whole lot of stuff going on. (laughs) Pretend you're four years old, as the child named Kevin, who we never Mm see. This is all a child's POV. Right. Pretend you're four years old and you have woken up in the middle of the night. And you think you see something in your closet. Do you see something in your closet? No. In the shadows. But you are half asleep. You're half awake. You're somewhere in between those states of being. Mm -hmm. It's dark. It's dark. There might be a light from a window coming in or a a, a, a nightlight or something. And it makes shadows that weren't there before. Things look like they're moving. The entire film is that state of being. The entire film is the fear that you feel as a child when you wake up in the night and maybe you've had a bad dream and you think you see something. You might not, but maybe you do. Because of that, it is shot in a way that is really grainy. That very low light Mm -hmm. aesthetic. And you and I have noticed this on Zoom calls. If the light's not very bright, on our end, we look grainy and fuzzy. Yeah. Well, that's this entire film. Mm. Also, you never get... Not only do you not get a complete shot or look at a, any human being, you never get a complete shot or look at any room in its entirety. There's a corner. There's a floor. There's a hallway. There's something, but it is. It is. It is the most brassonian fragmentation wow. of of space that I've seen in a very long time. In a film that got a wide release, yeah, um, it and I well, by wide release I mean you know like several hundred theaters. Yes, and it's now on Shutter. It is clearly influenced by experimental film, and as such, is getting you know pretty good reviews from critics. I think, but uh, audiences oh. are. Really polarized. I was going to say, this.
0: all the responses that I've seen to it are either, "Oh my god, this is terrifying," or "This is nonsense." Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there's no middle ground, apparently.
1: If you are not used to seeing films that that do not, hue um, to conventional narrative, and if you are upset by that, irritated by that, bored by that, then this is not for you. You know, if you've never seen anything like that before, then try it. Like, why not? Give it a go. There's more than one way to tell a story. This is super low-budget atmospherics. And because of that, he's able to build up this weird sense of disorientation and dread. That I watched it uh, last night. I was alone at home. And that doesn't... uh, Watching a horror movie at home alone for me is nothing. Like, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not... You can't... You can't make me feel bad uh, deep into the night. You know? Even no matter how frightening you are. But after... At about the 40-minute mark. When it became clear that A, this was the entire film. And B that there was indeed something else in the house with them. I began to feel that that childhood memory of fear and anxiety about what's out there in the dark that I can't see. You know. At about the 60, 65-minute mark, you begin to realize that not only is there a presence in the house, but it's doing things to the house. Like there's this endless VHS tape of like old timey, you know, children's cartoons from the 30s, like public domain. The, you know, the kind of stuff they do on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Kind of stuff, yeah. Pee-wee's Playhouse, King of Cartoons kind of stuff. Right. Um, hmm. But it starts to skip and loop and repeat. And I'm like, that's not what a VHS tape does. <laughs> so there's something else going on here. Right. You know, at one point, things begin to adhere themselves to the ceiling. The house turns upside down. These children are stuck in a nightmare. With about 20 minutes left to go, there's a caption on screen that I won't give away if you've not seen it. But when the caption came on the screen explaining something, I said, Oh, no! out loud to no one. I was home alone. <laughs> it is a film about the endlessness of the nightmare state. I really like it. Is I, I I don't know that it holds up to a lot of scrutiny, but as a visceral physical experience of being, you know, stuck in this Mm non-place for 90 minutes um i thought it was really effective (laughs) uh and you might you might have already seen it if you're out there and not agree with me at all because again as i said it is deeply polarizing uh to people and maybe maybe you're like an even deeper horror person than than either one of us um and you've seen something like this before in the world of horror, and you would like to tell us about it, then you are entirely welcome to tell us about it. Linoleum
0: Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. But
1: I I I now want to see his next film. Because I want to see what he what he plans to do. All right. Uh he has he has taken no resources mm-hmm. <laughs> and turned it into something. Huh. Um the title, of course, comes from a very, 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 like, old uh, children's song. I don't know the exact origins of it, but it sounds like something that came from, like, old vaudeville. Yeah. You know, the you know that kind of song. Um, and it was that kind of song, but apparently in the 90s it became uh, used in, like, children's VHS sing-along tapes and stuff like that. So I believe that's where it... Uh, I believe that's where the title of the film comes down yeah. from. So Millennials, if we if there's something more specific that we don't know about, tell us that too. It is available uh it on was, it was in Shudder. It wasn't theaters. <coughs> it is available on Shudder. It is also available, I think, on Amazon Prime. Mm. Um it's not exclusively on Shudder. Yeah, it's it's rentable, I think. Yeah. But I I like it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Probably not gonna watch it, but okay.
1: <laughs> you watched we have a ghost. Ugh. Is it, are you telling me from that sigh that the less said about it, the better? Pretty much. What
0: are you telling? It's a me? big, big letdown because it's from Christopher Landon, wrote and directed it. And, and Christopher...
1: that is not that is not a name that you just dismiss. No, Christopher no. Landon is no. the guy.
0: He did the exceptional uh, Happy Death Day movies. He did Freaky, which Yo, I the liked. Happy
1: Death Day movies are amazing. You. <laughs> You need those in your life. Yeah. They're
0: they're funny and they're scary and they're smart and they're clever and um you know I really enjoy uh what what is the lead actress's name? I'm, I, you know, I'm blanking. I'm blank on that myself. She was one of the uh she was one of the Emma Stone kind of backup um La La Land. Uh, oh, people. she
1: was in La La Land. She was one of the the dancers at the yes. pool. Oh, um one of the roommates. Jessica Roth. Okay.
0: Um so yeah, so you know, we, Christopher Landon you expect things and uh boy this movie is a mess um, so basically it is it is a haunted house we the, the movie opens with you know a family like w- screaming and running for their lives and then about a year or so passes and a family moves in the dad is Anthony Mackie the mom is Erica Ash from a big queer sketch show. They have two sons played by uh, Jahi Diallo, Winston, and Niles Fitch, and uh, they indeed have a ghost played by David Harbour with a terribly unflattering comb over, <laughs> um, and he lives in the attic. And he, you know, he goes woo because he feels like he's supposed to. But you know, the the he finally has found uh, some people that are like not frightened by this. And in, in fact, actually, managed to capture him uh, on phone video, and so then it becomes a big viral YouTube sensation. And Anthony Mackie wants to cash in on this, but the Jahi Diallo Winston character like befriends the ghost and wants to help him right. out and figure out like what happened to him and why is he stuck there and all this stuff. And, and the then movie- the
1: ghost marries Lily Allen, and they put carpeting in their bathroom. <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look at their Architectural Digest home tour video on YouTube. They put carpeting in their bathroom. David Harbour and Lily Allen, what
0: were you thinking? (laughs) Um, Yeah, This movie can't decide if it wants to be funny, or sweet, or kind of scary, or satirizing, like, you know, social media. It's all over the place, and it doesn't work at all. This is, this movie is so terrible that there's a Jennifer Coolidge scene in it that is not funny.
1: How do you do that?
0: I don't know, but Hmm. apparently, uh, these guys do. Uh, Tig Notaro pops up, and she can be hilarious, she can also be dramatic, and she's given a role that is nothing. Hmm. Nothing. It's, so there's just a lot of wasting of talent going on here. And I am beginning to suspect that this is a problem with Netflix movies. What not, do you mean? Not that Netflix hasn't made some good ones. You know, okay. well, obviously Roma
1: and, you know, Meyer Stories. Did they make and, Roma or did they just get Roma? After no, no, the they, fact? Made did they, they made it. They it? are. Yeah. Right.
0: You know, The Irishman, most famously. Mm-hmm. But I think in a lot of cases, they throw money at a filmmaker, and they don't really develop the scripts enough. Okay. I think there's some really bad writing in Netflix movies mm-hmm. that have the potential to be something special. You know, Red Notice is... Didn't see it. The go-to. You know, that's a, it's a caper movie with, you know... Uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, and Gal Gadot—you know—it should have been yeah. a lot more fun than it was. Right, and and so I I kind of feel like they're they they want to attract the big talent. They'll give them the budgets they want, and then not supervise enough. And so here you've got this movie that is two hours and six minutes long, Man. and it is a slog. Yeah, no thank you. So yeah, uh, uh, do not waste your time on We Have a Ghost. I won't. Yeah. Disappointed.
1: I won't. Gotta make you watch Pacifiction instead. Oh, Blake. Yes. <laughs> That's coming up. <laughs> um, okay. Catching up to the Academy Award nominated movies. Yes. We sat down and watched Living. We did. It is from Oliver Hermanus. Yes. He is... A South African filmmaker, a couple years ago, he made a film called Mafi Mm -hmm. that we talked about on this uh, show.
0: Um, About a a, a closeted gay guy being drafted into the South African army during the apartheid era. Yeah.
1: Before that, in uh, 2010-ish, he directed a film called Beauty. Yes. Uh, Skunheit is the... Parenthetical name. Mm-hmm. I guess that's Afrikaners. Yeah. Uh, Afrikaans. Afrikaans. Okay. And um, it won the Queer Palm at the Cannes Film Festival that year. Yeah. And I don't really know anyone but us <laughs> who well, have seen it. We screened it at Outfest, which is why yeah. you and I watched it. And yeah.
0: it was a gut punch. It
1: is a brutal movie. Yeah. So brutal, in fact, that I wonder what queer audiences today would make of it. I have a feeling, because I saw it in a bubble, really. I Mm -hmm. saw it here on a DVD screener, and I did not see it with the Outfest audience. So I don't know what the Outfest audience thought about it. Uh, But it makes me wonder that even like 13 years ago, what did the Outfest audience think of it? Did they want to walk out? Were they angry? Its brutality operates within
0: an examination of the damage that the closet wreaks upon. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not like, you know, a Lucas it's not not (laughs) like a Lucas Daunt movie where
1: gay artists is like, what? (laughs) It it is not a and I'm not saying that Lucas Daunt films are gratuitous. I'm saying that that this one also is not gratuitous. It is it is made for a reason. Yes. Um but some a very bad man does very bad things, yep. in, in beauty. So uh, anyway, so now he's now now <laughs> he is, now he is directed, the most polite, film <laughs> lifting, <laughs> <laughs> to be nominated for an Academy Award yes. this year. Bill uh, Bill Nye stars uh, in the film. It is uh, an adaptation of Akira Kurosawa's 1952 classic, Ikiru. Yes. If you have not seen Ikiru, you need to see Ikiru before you even think about watching living.
0: Uh, I would suggest that as well, yes. Uh,
1: This, of course, was also uh, in turn uh, inspired by Leo Tolstoy's novella, The Death of Ivan Ilyich. So... It has historical precedent, yeah. literary precedent, cinematic precedent. And this new version stars Bill Nighy as a man who uh, receives a terminal cancer diagnosis. He does not tell his son or daughter-in-law. He is a London city council bureaucrat whose job is to sit at a desk and sort of like shuffle papers around.
0: Yeah, he's, he's like your classic sort of nameless functionary. Yeah.
1: But when he gets the diagnosis... He decides he's going to experience a little bit of life yeah. before he goes, and try to make you know a couple good things happen for other people before he goes.
0: That's basically it. That's it.
1: <laughs> That's the film.
0: the The screenplay is by uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah, uh, who wrote the novel "Remains of the Day." I was yes. reminded when we did this on, on Breakfast All Day. He did not write the screenplay. That was, of course, the great. Ruth Proverjabala working with Merchant Ivory. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so he he and Bill Nye are both up for Oscars this year. And, you know, uh, this this brings me to the thing we always say, which is like, remake the movies that have a good idea that don't work. When you remake a classic, no matter how well you do it, and this movie does it well, it is next to impossible to not think about the classic and especially when this movie quotes so many of its most memorable moments yeah like the image that you are likely to see on the poster of Ikiru is recreated here
1: yeah yeah and I assumed it would be yeah so here's what I like about it it looks so good sure yes and what they've done is they have obviously it's Fully, you know, digital filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, but there is, you know, anything you want in the world you can get now. And they make it look like old technicolor. Yeah. It, <laughs> Quite a bit. It, um, it
0: is it is often color graded in a way to look like a film coming out in the time in the, yeah, when it's set. The fifties. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um all of the digital background. That is clearly there. Yeah. You know, you can shoot in England all day long and find a bunch of old stuff, but you can't find all the old stuff <laughs> all in one place, I don't think. And so there's clearly a lot of digital background going on there, but it is sort of seamless. You can't really, most of the time, tell that it's there. Um, Bill Nye is, of course,
0: perfect. Bill Nye is great.
1: I think he will probably win. The Academy Award because he's been around for a long time and people love him, and I'm just I'm just throwing out my guess. I have no here. idea how that's going to go. Yeah,
0: but but it would it, it. I
1: can't see anybody complaining if he did win. Yeah. So, um, here's the problem with the movie.
0: <laughs> Ikiru exists.
1: <laughs> Ikiru not only does Ikiru exist, but every moment that you could, as a reasonable, thoughtful adult who buys a ticket to see the movie Living (laughs) at your local art house, cinema, you already know what the movie is telling you. You already can figure these things out on your own. But the film doesn't trust you to do that. Mm, True. The film Mm -hmm. likes to make sure that you know that this is happening for this reason by putting that reason into the mouth of a character to explain it to you. (laughs) Front and center. And I'll tell you what I don't like in real life. Is somebody telling me something I already know as though they are the first person to tell it to me? (laughs) Because the thing I want to say to them is, yeah, I know. I was there. I have a pair of eyes and a pair of ears and a brain that functions sometimes during the day. Guess who and wasn't born yesterday? This guy. Right. So when characters are fully explaining the point and the moral of it all and the reasons for the things that are happening, I think to myself, yeah, I know I'm already watching the movie. <laughs> Yeah, so that became rather vexing. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps a bit much. I mean,
0: the idea of faithless bureaucrat being transferred from Tokyo salaryman to 1950s British functionary. Dude
1: in a bowler hat. You yeah, know, you yeah. know. In a sea of
0: men in bowler
1: hats, right, you know. Right, Yes,
0: uh, on that level, it totally
1: works. Makes it's, perfect sense.
0: It's not like the all-furniture Hamlet, you know. Like, it, it is, <laughs> it, it, it adapts, you know, to this time and place. But, uh, yeah, you're right, it does. It, it, there's a lot of putting too fine a point on it in this movie that gets annoying after point all. Point after
1: point after point mm. being explained. And I just, you know what? I will luxuriate in your period detail because it is good period detail. But could you get off my back?
0: (laughs) They should bring out What's-His-Face from American Idol to point to things. (laughs) Which one? You know, the boogie. Um,
1: Oh, What's-His-Face. Taylor... uh, uh, Something. Something. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Taylor Swift. (laughs) What's his name? Taylor Hackford. No. It's... It doesn't matter. Anyway. Okay. Um, also, his job in the film? Yes. So quiet, like an old timey library. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Seems very peaceful and quiet to me. <laughs> like no matter how boring that job would be, it would feel like a dream. I think, to me, to be like ah yes, we all call each other you know Mister this and Miss that, and then we 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 very politely speak to each other in quiet tones. Well,
0: offices were like that, and
1: ah, so. uh, that seems I uh, was re- that seems nice. Remember when Charles Foster Kane
0: first shows up at the Enquirer, and like they're trying to alert. Uh, You know, the editor guy that he's there, and they're all like, like, they they all just sort of like wiggle their fingers and like the tiniest little hush just to get to try and get this attention. Uh huh.
1: (laughs) So, um, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's worth seeing
0: for the Bill Nye's performance. It's worth seeing for his performance. Correct. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it just, you know, go, really, go see Akira. You'll be glad you
1: did. All right. Now, while, while our friend uh, Anthony was visiting, yes, I said, hey, I need to go see Magic Mike's last dance <laughs> for the purposes of this podcast. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll go do anything. I don't care. And wishes he had. When the film was over, <laughs> he said dir- to me directly, he said, I will never go to a cinema again. He was so He told me later Miserable That
0: were he not with you He would have walked
1: out Yeah Had he not been with me He said he would have walked out um,
0: now, I saw this movie separately from
1: y'all. Yes.
0: And we had a slightly different experience, screening experience. What, uh, what was yours? I don't know what. Well, I told you about
1: this. I can't remember now. I went to see and, this. Uh, the, and the listeners have no idea what you're doing. I know. About. Okay. Yeah. Well, all
0: right. <laughs> Hence, I will explain. So I went the Thursday night when screenings started. Yeah. Because Christy and I had to review it on Friday morning and I had missed the press screening. Right. At my theater, which yeah. is the different from where you guys went.
1: There was a little pre-roll previously on Magic Mike,
0: kind of. Okay, yeah, it was like a, like quick clips reminding you what had happened in the first two movies. Uh huh. I had admittedly forgotten that Matthew McConaughey was in the first one. Yes, he was. Um, and then this like ad for the stage show, mm. which apparently is a thing in like London and Vegas and maybe one other uh, place, other places too, <clears throat> I
1: guess. Yeah, I I didn't know there was a real stage show.
0: I vaguely knew it, but I'd forgotten about it, but then I was reminded by this thing. Yeah. And so I went into this movie already thinking, so are we just is this does this movie just exist to promote the stage show?
1: One suspects. And by the end of it, I was like, (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does. I have just watched
0: a feature length infomercial for the stage stage magic mic.
1: According to Anthony. He says the London, because Anthony lives in England. Uh, he says the London set stage for this place, for this show, looks like the set in the film. Ah. um, it's this very much a thing that comes out at you. Right. You know, they are they are bumping, they are grinding, uh, in your face. I couldn't yeah.
0: believe that over the course of this film, they transform a proscenium stage. Into a thrust stage. (laughs) And no one makes a joke about that. No one makes a joke about that. It's sitting right there, people. That's correct, yeah.
1: Thrust stage. (laughs) Um, Okay, so. Back uh, in the director chair is Steven Soderbergh. Yes. The busiest retiree ever. And I'm wondering what made him do this this way. Free trip to London. I guess, because, uh, you know, the first film, Magic Mike, is set in the world of male exotic slash erotic dancers. And it is not about that so much at all. It is about the financial crisis.
0: Yeah, it's an economic anxiety movie in the same way that
1: Bridesmaids is. Correct. Magic Mike XXL is a film about Camaraderie. Camaraderie and the uh, uh, sexual pleasure of women. Yes. Both of them good movies. I like the first one the best. I like the second one quite a bit. This one is about what? It's about some nonsense, is really what yeah, it's about. I,
0: I, the movie, it feels like the movie is trying to convince you that. They're not just stripping, you guys. It's art. It's, and it's not. I mean, it's at least not as presented in this film. I'm not saying that the art of eccodesiastical dancing, I forget what the word is. is. Is that I I can I tell you something? Yes. I don't know that word. Uh <laughs> it, it, it it comes up in gypsy. Okay. Anyway, stripping. You know, the yes, that can be. Art. It can. It is choreography. It of is course. all those things. Absolutely. But this movie keeps banging that drum, and for the most part, it's like, well, it's spectacle. I'll give you that. Um, but the, okay, the movie begins with Mike. You know, his his furniture business has gone bankrupt. He's working as a bartender to fancy party at the home of a super rich lady played by super rich lady Salma Hayek. Yes. Um, she finds out oh she out- is a real life super she rich she's a real life super I rich lady. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about yes. that <laughs> let's never forget um, she finds out from like a mutual friend that Mike has a past as you know an exotic dancer yes. and basically pays him for like a lap dance a lap essentially. dance and he does a he uses the whole house, let's just put it that way. Right, right, right. Uh, and she keeps talking about that like it's this, you know,
1: no every one, woman should experience an no erotic one awakening. No has ever done such a thing before. Thank you, yes. In the history of... Dance uh, and pel- groins. Pelvic uh, uh, gyrations. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so she decides that she's going to take him to London And she's going to, like, this theater that she's getting in the divorce is going to convert it into this, like, you know, he's going to put on his show and it's going to be this whole thing.
1: Right. Right. They're basically showing the mouse trap, <laughs> and yeah, it's a, and, it,
0: it's this stuffy piece of period theater that's been going on forever, for decades and. Uh, by the way, the it's the Radigan theater, which I'm assuming is a shout out to Terrence Radigan who wrote like the Browning version. And stuff. Sure, um, let's let's just say that. Or, or yeah. the bad guy in the Great Mouse Detective. Take your pick. Uh, Steven
1: um, Soderbergh is nothing if not uh, um, addicted to cinema. Yes. And always dropping little bits and pieces of it into his films. I'm surprised he didn't call even, it the Richard Lester thing. Even, <laughs> when, even when the movie itself doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then there's some, you know, drama about the ex-husband and will the show go on? And uh, by the time they get to the show, which... I'd say that's what the last third of the movie is—the actual performance. Uh,
1: let's say the last twenty minutes. Okay, it's, okay. A, it's a healthy chunk. It's a good chunk of. Chunk, uh, yeah.
0: you know, the film itself is well. Actually, no, it's a full two hours. Anyway, so uh, he does this pre-show speech to all the dancers, <laughs> and he talks about friendship, <laughs> and it's like, I'm sorry, y'all are friends. Which movie did that happen <laughs> in? Because as you said, Magic Mike XXL is all about. The, the 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 camaraderie is all about the right. the the bro-iness of it all right. and here we don't even know their names. No. It's like no. uh, ginger dude with the beard, like ripped Asian guy, like you, but you, you right. don't know who any of them are, right. how they relate to each other, what relationship if any they have with Mike. Right. And so when he gets to the friendships each I'm like with whom? <laughs> um so yeah, the, this movie uh, so yeah, there are moments of choreography that are certainly dazzling. There's a whole big like rain number involving Mike and this ballet dancer where they sort of recreate
1: Straight out of Staying
0: Alive Staying Alive yeah. and a few other, yeah, I mean I definitely recognize some some DNA in there
1: The sliding on the knees and I'm like, John Travolta did that in 1983 John Travolta slid so that Channing Tatum could soar uh,
0: Yeah, by the time it was over I was like, what did I just see and why did I see it? Yeah
1: uh, the 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 male friendship that you will think about the most yes in this film when it's over is the one between Mike and uh, Ayub Khan Din yes who plays x Butler he was. Sammy, Annie. he was Sammy in Sammy and Rosie Get Laid, uh, the Stephen uh, Frears, Frears film from the 80s. He was also in My Beautiful Laundrette. Yes. The uh, earlier yeah. other Stephen, Frears, Stephen Frears, film. Frears film. So, and when I saw him in this film, I thought, okay, all right, Mr. French. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could be buddies. <laughs> but like, is the wise man service? Who so. are you? Should I know who you are? And then when I got home and I looked him up and I was like, "Oh my God, <laughs> I know that guy from forty years ago." Yeah, in, when he was super young and looked different. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the the relationship that he has, his character has with uh, Channing Tatum's character, mm-hmm. is sweet and like nurturing and good and they- Wise. And, and yeah, and, and and so you're fascinated by that storyline. The relationship between uh, Salma Hayek and, and Channing Tatum is transactional and occasionally so, yeah. romantic, but not fully until the very end where they decide, <laughs> yes, we're lovers now or whatever. She has this wise
0: cracking kid
1: who is sort of shoehorned into it.
0: Yeah. And they make a whole big deal about like, she comes to see the show and they're like, Oh no, she's to leave during this part. Cause it's too adult. It's and I'm too like, adult. What they I'm, took off their shirts. Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> the, the, yeah, the part that she leaves for is not particularly different than the part that she's there for. So uh, whatever. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like they're putting on goddess, you know, my, um, my
1: biggest complaint here is the lie, the pervasive lie. Um, That, that, what we are seeing from this show is a revolutionary act of theater, a a transformative, that, yeah, erotic act because (laughs) it's just not, it is a thing that you could see at any uh, 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 male, you know, labear, bachelorette party, male strip club uh, of any note, right. Chippendales, Le where they're doing, you know choreography. Uh, uh, choreography. <laughs> um where they have a
0: budget and they have costumes and whatever yeah. else. But but that's it. That that's it doesn't transcend that There's not style a story of story
1: that they're telling no. with their with their dancing. It, it's and they're very good at the dancing.
0: But Salma Hayek keeps talking about it like every woman in that audience is gonna leave pregnant.
1: Right. <laughs> yes. And I think I I don't get it. Like, I don't see... What have we not seen before that we're seeing that that, uh, you keep telling me has never been done before? Yeah. None of it. None of it. it, She is constantly writing checks
0: that the film
1: itself is not cashing. Right. (sighs) Hmm. (laughs) So... I think it also is now currently streaming. It's still in theaters too. Yeah, it was originally um,
0: supposed to just go right to HBO Max, and then apparently, yeah. because who knows why they're doing anything at Warner Brothers right now, but don't they know. they did wind up instead uh, uh, releasing it in theaters, but only about half as many theaters as the previous one went out into. Uh, it is not on HBO Max yet, but it is uh, rentable on uh, like you know Amazon and Apple and stuff.
1: As is Beauty, by the way. Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. Um, yeah. 18 feet of uh, gut-crunching, cr- <laughs> man-eating terror. <laughs> well, you know, when, when
0: Christy and I talked about this movie, I, I described it as a cross between Grizzly, whose tagline you just quoted, yes. uh, and Burn After Reading. Y'all,
1: Grizzly was this movie that came out in the mid-'70s that I was obsessed with. After, after
0: Jaws became a yeah. smash hit and broke... Box office records.
1: Any monstrous animal that was going to eat a bunch of people uh-huh. was my new best friend. Tentacles, piranha. It didn't matter what it was. And Grizzly. I begged and begged and begged and begged my oldest brother to take me to see Grizzly. Because <laughs> it was playing at a theater that was not having afternoon matinees. Mm. And that was the only way I was able to go to films uh-huh. as a child. And... If it was at night, an adult had to go with me, stay with me, see the movie too, and so he hemmed and Haw didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. Oh, Grizzly was rated PG. The very last night, he uh, I was like, "You promised you would." (laughs) I was I pitched a fit because he was like, "No, we're not gonna." And I was like, "You said we were," and we did. Because I had a tantrum, oh, <laughs> I the was, movie is terrible. I was too old to have a tantrum. Yes, but you know what? <laughs> when you tell me as a as, a, as an eleven year old or however old I was, you tell me that we're going to do something, and then you back out at the last minute. Mm. Yeah, don't I know it? I am displeased.
0: <laughs> uh, See, my my siblings just had to drag me to like the Pippi Longstocking
1: movies. <laughs> Against their will. Um, Grizzly and Pippi Longstocking are equivalently awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, yes.
1: She, in their respective ways. She is such an imp. (laughs) She could lift Grizzly over her head. (laughs) I'll sing that whole song for you again. I know I did it one time on this podcast years ago, but I'll do it. She could lift that grizzly up in the worst green screen you ever saw. Y'all want to join the Patreon uh, uh, linoleum nights uh, level and on the ask us anything? Just all you got to say is, Dave, sing will you please, Pippy Long will you please sing the Pippi Longstocking theme? <laughs> oh, I will. Is that what, do? You, would would you, you like that? Would you like that? Well, I'll, I'll do, do it, it then.
0: <laughs> cocaine bear. Yeah, cocaine bear. Based on sort of a true event, but barely.
1: Ish. Okay, here's the true event. The true um, event was a bear ate cocaine and died. Yes, in a nutshell.
0: No. Um, this one sort of fleshes it out a little. Where the bear lives and would like more cocaine, please. And if you are between the bear and more cocaine, uh, you will get mauled and or eaten. Both, generally.
1: Yeah. Can we spoil the ending just for the sake of people who don't want to see an animal suffer? oh um, I think we should. Sure. It's been a couple of weeks. The bear lives. Yes. She's a lady bear. Yes. And she's She's got little... Cocaine baby, cubs. She's got cocaine cubs and... They live too. They want to be uh, left uh, happily ever after... With their cocaine. So that Santa Claus can come <laughs> in December <laughs> for the next film from Elizabeth Banks. Oh, Santa and the three bears. Santa and the three cocaine bears. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Get Weta on the phone.
0: Start making those effects happen. Okay. So, we have a coked up bear in a national park in 1985. Yeah. And various um, unlucky parties cross paths with it. You have yes. a forest ranger played by Marco Martindale. Margo Martindale. Love it. great Margo Martindale. Love it so much. Um, yeah. Who is... Clearly interested in a wildlife expert played by uh, Jesse, Tyler, Jesse Ferguson Tyler Ferguson in the single
1: wig. worst wig that I have seen since uh, uh, that movie with Maggie Grace, <laughs> and it was like a Nicholas Sparks kind of film, oh, and she had that wild oh, that's like right. that, <laughs> that 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 bizarre like it it's Shabbat kind of wig on her head. <laughs>
0: Uh, also heading into the park are uh, is, is um, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich, who work for uh, the owner of said cocaine, which is a drug kingpin, the late Ray Liotta, yeah. um, uh, a concerned nurse played by Carrie Russell, whose young daughter, Brooklyn Prince, is playing hooky and gone into the park. Shout
1: out to Carrie Russell's amazing pink jumpsuit mm. that she wears for most of the film.
0: Yeah, this movie gets the '80s right without like overplaying its hand. Right. Alden Ehrenreich has a robin's egg blue members only jacket. Yep. Um, You know, a lot of a lot of baseball jerseys on O'Shea Jackson Jr. Like they 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 get it right. The needle drops aren't too overbearing. Like they have no, they're fun. not. They're not they, bad they, at all. They have fun with the '80s stuff, but they don't yep. like you know pound it into the ground. Uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. plays a cop who is following said drug guys uh, to try and nab them. And uh, and then there's a cocaine bear and it um it wreaks havoc amongst all these folks in this park. And it's look, if you're gonna make a horror comedy, I need to be screaming and I need to be laughing, and if I can do both at the same time, so much the better. You were. And I did plenty I sat, of that. I sat right next to I you. I did plenty of that at Cocaine Bear.
1: And you uh you shrieked like a little baby the way you do in films like this, it's where true. there's a lot of gore. A lot of limbs being torn off, a lot of blood splattering everywhere, a yes. lot of uh, viscera and entrails and guts being thrown around. <laughs> but all
0: those things are happening in a funny way, right. which is a, a difficult needle to thread. And I, again, Elizabeth Banks, I'm going to pound this drum again. 2019's Charlie's Angels, you right. guys deserves more uh, love than it gets. It and does. That's a movie that manages to be tongue-in-cheek and genuinely exciting and suspenseful at the same time.
1: This is the same. Yeah. This is the same. It's a grindhouse movie.
0: Yes. I mean,
1: that uh, that is what it is. It is the apotheosis
0: like, of what you want in a grindhouse. Movie. We
1: live in a city where uh, Quentin Tarantino owns a movie theater. Yes. And they only show, they show films there that are only... 35-millimeter prints. Correct. They have not ever done a digital thing. Yes. Uh, since a lot he of, took over. A lot since he took over. A lot of the prints come from his personal collection. Mm-hmm. Not always, but a lot of them do. One of the and ones that I wanted to see, there was
0: Polk County Pot Plane, which is also about yes. a real Georgia drug bust. Yes,
1: <laughs> but you will be able to go see the 1976 uh, animal exploitation <laughs> film Grizzly <laughs> at the New Beverly, that's the name of the movie, theater if you want because they have shown it a couple times since he has taken over you have not pitched a fit to make me take you you just wait till I get my new hips <laughs> <laughs> so listen once I have hip replacement surgery there are so many things <laughs> it's over that yo oh yeah you're you are I'm putting you on notice right now <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff that we're gonna do and you have no choice you you are. Rest up. Okay. Because I'm going to... I'm be your plus one. Oh, the burst of, of physical energy that I'm going to have.
0: <laughs> the irrational exuberance. I might even
1: stay up after nine o'clock. What? You just watch.
0: You Okay, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> um, this is written by Jimmy Warden, by the way, who I believe it's his... Uh, maybe his first... No, he wrote The Babysitter for uh, mm-hmm. for Netflix. Uh, but is you know that it's only like his second movie,
1: so like we said, it is a splattery grindhouse movie with real actors, yes, who are giving you equal amounts of like tongue in cheek goofiness, like self consciously uh, arch uh, <laughs> arch performances. But then you've got people like Ray Liotta who are just giving it to you straight. Yeah. And then, you've got Alden Ehrenreich, who, oh, man. who is on his way to becoming, I think, an acting national treasure. Yes. Because not only was he, uh, 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 he began his he began his career as sort of like young, brooding, beautiful, beautiful creatures. Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't quite know what to do with him in these, you know, films. But then comes Hail Caesar, yes. where you see him and you're like, Oh, this dude is a movie star is a movie star and he's great doing this weird thing that he's doing for the Coens right now.
0: Um, Solo could Forget have about him. Forget about forget about Han Solo.
1: Um This character that he plays shouldn't have been much of anything. Yeah.
0: Or it would have been or or it should have been like
1: one joke. And he takes his character's one joke, his one personality trait joke, and turns it into this really moving, uh, humane piece of work about feeling abandoned by your parents and and grief, and grief of, about, you know, the loss of a, of a, of a, of a spouse, um, And the scenes that he has with O'Shea Jackson Jr. and a new guy Mm. named Aaron Holliday, who this new guy named Aaron Holliday is part of a bumbling trio knife gang, (laughs) 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 where where all they do is run around the park trying to like rob people and stab them. Yeah, these dopey petty criminals. He becomes sort of like Alden Ehrenreich's therapist yeah, during shoulder the to crime. They're all these. trying to escape the rampaging cocaine bear. <laughs> Meanwhile, the three of them are sort of like bonding as friends and sort of having each other's backs <laughs> and trying to help each other through not just the physical situation but their emotions, their feelings. <laughs> yeah, um, I love all the weird character. Stuff going on yes. uh, in this film. I had a really great time. I love watching guts flying around a movie. <laughs> I love watching people get, you know, their faces torn off and decapitated and all that kind of stuff. Who doesn't? <laughs> I especially love watching Alonzo react to that kind of stuff <laughs> because he is a squeamish widow baby when it comes time for that to happen. Guilty. I can't get enough.
0: There is a sequence involving an ambulance. Oh, yeah. That is one of the most oh, yeah. hilarious yeah. and terrifying and exciting things I've seen in a movie in I don't know how long. In
1: 2023. Yes. So far in these long, long months of 2023. <laughs> uh, yeah, y'all go see Cocaine Bear. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's not as stupid as they're telling you it is. No, it is. Yeah.
0: It's, it, it's stealth
1: smart. Sure. Uh, We have some cocaine letters (laughs) from cocaine listeners who do a lot of cocaine. Jack, last name withheld, is one of those cocaine listeners. (laughs) Sorry, Jack. Uh, Jack says, your episode on Jesus Revolution with Zach and Dave from uh, uh, Veterans Veterans of Culture Wars Wars podcast, was striking. It's always interesting to see what breaks out from church culture into broader culture, and we all should be aware of it to be on guard. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for enduring the film and breaking it down for the rest of us. I grew up brainwashed by the evangelical rapture type of church, and I saw a lot of my experiences reflected. Having your... All four expert analyses was very helpful to revisit those ideas from a distance. This history of baby boomers trying drugs, not finding contentment, then turning to Christian spirituality and leaving the door open for rugged individualism mm. is immensely informative for unexplained gaps in the previous generation's behaviors. And I thank you. It's always good to be reminded of the connection between end times raptures and the Cold War of the time. Mm. Just after listening, I was struck by how the past truly is prologue, and the analysis of the film helped me newly understand current events. For example, the Pope recently tweeted, Hashtag social justice demands that we fight against the causes of poverty, inequality, and the lack of labor, land, and lodging, against those who deny social and labor rights, and against the culture that leads to taking away the dignity of others. Jordan Peterson, quote, tweeted this Mm -hmm. in reply. There is nothing Christian about hashtag social justice. Redemptive salvation is a matter of the individual soul. In this example, we see a stark through line from the film and actual history to the present. This discussion and comparison of historic versus artistic retelling is immensely useful in understanding where we are today and what to do about it. Thank you for doing the hard work to help us all gain insight. Special thanks to your guests. I cannot wait for your cocaine bear episode. Well, Jack, we are. Jack, Jack, cocaine. <laughs> you, you yes. just—that's his last name. You just got it. I, well, you said your last name was withheld, but we're just going to call you Jack cocaine, Jack cocaine from now on. I hope you like that. <laughs> so. Uh, next letter is from Shoddy. Ah. Uh, I remember absolutely hating Saving Private Ryan when it came out for its saccharine sentimentalism soaked in Americana schmaltz. And having a huge crush on Tom Sizemore because he was the only actor in that movie who even remotely behaved like a human being. R.I.P. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. From Grant, the TV and movie guy. You're Alonzo and Dave. I was finally able to catch women talking and I loved it. I believe my audience was confused and uh, they must have thought the film was called audience talking because oh, they yapped God. pretty much the whole movie and frequently laughed like hyenas at the end of characters telling their stories. Ah, I'm sorry. What? What? <laughs> I think you had the cocaine audience, actually. Clearly, yeah. Yikes. I am noticing a trend of people in movie theaters laughing or cracking jokes during serious scenes to seem cool. And it's a trend I hate because it shows extreme disrespect to the subject matter, uh, especially with important films like this. Am I just crazy, or have both of you noticed this as well? I have not I have it. not, but I mean, there, there has been a
0: thing going on for uh, for decades now. Of people going to see old movies, yeah. and laughing at stuff yeah. that was intended to be straightforward yeah. to sort of show how hip they are, which is also annoying. I get that. Do.
1: I get that happening occasionally at repertory screenings of old films.
0: Yeah, like trying to see a Douglas Sirk movie without people snickering—that's a it tough one. Is yeah. a challenge. You but um, new dramatic films. I did not. I did not know that was a thing, and I hope it does not become one.
1: The good thing about Los Angeles is that you will have an equal number of people shouting them down mm, if true. they behave that way. Uh, if you're in the yeah. right place. Yeah, I do
0: remember yeah. when, and but this is more that kind of nervous laughter thing. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a screening of Brokeback Mountain. Right. And the scene when they when they reunite for the first time yeah. and uh, Michelle Williams looks out the window and catches them yeah. in an embrace. Yes. Some people like laughed at that. And, and I could tell it was because they were so uncomfortable. Right. They didn't know what else to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: Brian says, First of all, I was beyond excited to hear my review on a recent <laughs> episode. I'm the one who complimented Dave's music taste. Well, Brian... <laughs> You were right. Brian Cocaine. You were right to do that. You were right to compliment my taste in music because it is impeccable. Stop it. (laughs) I look forward to the show every week. I also love Max Film and Breakfast All Day. Oh, thank you, sir. You're the film friends I wish I knew in real life. When you reviewed Infinity Pool, which I liked much more than you, And the menu, you mentioned the eat the rich trend that is happening. I thought you might enjoy taking a look at an article I wrote. He provides a link. I will click on it when we are finished uh, recording. The thing I'm interested in, besides the different ways that the wealthy are critiqued, is the reason for those themes having a moment, especially since these are the products of wealthy people who are poking at themselves. Fair. (laughs) Why do you think this is uh, in vogue right now? I like the menu the best of the bunch because it is fun and has a delightful character actor cast that gives it a loveboat nightmare energy. <laughs> and Nicholas Holt should, should totally play Patrick Bateman if they ever reboot American <laughs> Psycho. Uh, Maybe they filmed the musical. Yeah. The article was published before I saw Infinity Pool or I would have included it. Side note. I also wondered how they got away with that... Uh, that handy and got an R I, I wonder if they pulled a Scarface and sent out the original version anyway I don't know what they did
0: I, the this yeah.
1: version we saw was, had the full that was some NC-17 had, had the full old fashioned yeah <laughs> uh, at least we can all agree that Mia Goth is the queen for real right now <laughs> true And that Craig is channeling Foghorn Leghorn in Knives Out. (laughs) Do you also think Reed Burney is the obvious choice for a Biden biopic, too? Which one is Reed Burney? Reed Burney is the... He's
0: Judith Light's husband in the menu. Oh, all right. I can see that. Sure.
1: Uh, Best wishes for you both. And Dave, may you be well enough to catch the next Sun show, my friend from afar. Uh, Sun was recently here, like two nights in a row. And I was sad uh, that I did not get to go. I saw them once at the El Rey, God, 15 years ago. (laughs) And even then, before I even had the hip arthritis, I was looking for a chair to sit on. (laughs) I was like, next time. I am now even, listen, The hips will come, and I will still be a person who demands a seat at a show. I don't care what the show is. I need to sit down. I cannot stand for three hours for the bands, the band and the supporting band Mm -hmm. and the supporting of the supporting band. No. Give me a chair, or I'm just going to start carrying my own (laughs) and a little cushion. With me, I'm gonna be that guy. My 65 year old person, with the golf thing. 75 year old and... person, 85 year old person. Look, I'm here to see Mertzbo. <laughs> Damn you! And I will have a nice little seat for it, and maybe some of those or air- else
0: those airport worker headphones.
1: Maybe. <laughs> Look, my ears are already destroyed. Well, to protect nothing, what's left of your nothing you know, matters tympanic anymore. membrane.
0: So, uh, why, as to why we think that's happening, I mean, uh, I suspect that even Well, here's the thing: I think that people who make movies are rich, but they're not
1: billionaire rich. Billionaire rich. Right. And so I
0: think they're in a they're in a position of like seeing the the class division in this country understanding that they are in a comfortable place but that it's gotten out of hand
1: like we were recently watching fleischman is in trouble which is a tv show that you should totally watch it's great we talked about it on LKTV, the one of the patreon podcasts that we do and there's a recurring there's a running gag in fleischman is in trouble where the character uh uh Toby, flight, Fleischman. Toby Fleischman played by Jesse Eisenberg is uh, 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 a a ner- a he's a he's a doctor. He's a like a
0: uh he's like a liver specialist. He's a liver specialist at but, a hospital. But his and, his, and, his wife runs around with a lot in in a sort of like hedge fund super wealthy New York
1: crowd. Like so, you know, you're a doctor, okay, you got some money, right? You do. Yeah. But if you're like a hedge fund person or like a finance person and you're making Capital M money. You're like getting like a hundred million dollars and stuff like that. That's insane. Yeah, that's that's what they're talking about. And so the running gag on Fleischman is in trouble is every time he talks to one of his wife's hedge fund manager friends and he tells him what he does, they all say, "Oh, good for you." <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's oh, cute. isn't that sweet? You know, you you. Uh, 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 you get to be with us, the really rich people, right. you know. So I think that's what we're doing here. I think what's happening is you've got, you know, people who are filmmakers, actors, name name people who sure. are, uh, by all objective standards, rich. Financially comfortable. But they don't have... They're political. not Koch brothers. They don't have political power. They don't have legislative power. And they don't have the Koch brothers behind them yeah. who are the manipulators of of you know powerful uh, yeah. people they're,
0: they're not like destroying the bond market in Malaysia or you know like right. like hiring child slaves to build sneakers right
1: so you are basically when we when we go after or when the culture decides to go after the rich yeah um It's a matter of degrees. It's a matter of degrees. And the ones who aren't paying their taxes are the ones who own Amazon and Twitter. Yes. (laughs) So let's devour them. By all means. (laughs) By any means necessary. Start with the nibbling. Uh, talk about the Patreon ever so briefly. Oh sure. Patreon. We're gonna go we're gonna go. I'm gonna make dinner. I got a yes. chicken. I'm gonna roast a whole chicken in the oven for the family.
0: And if you want to hear more about Dave and his chicken making skills, mm. you'll wanna to subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash linoleum knife, where programs include linoleum knife and fork a food podcast hosted by two film critics, as well as LKTV, a podcast of the television. Uh, Linoleum Knife presents presents more Linoleum Knife, where we take a 20 to 30 minute dive into a single film. And of course, Linoleum Nights, uh, which we record uh, live on Sunday mornings and talk about more provocative subject matter using saltier language than we do on any of our other shows. R-rated. All of this and more you can find at patreon.com slash linoleumknife for as low as a dollar a month. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Um, thank you for listening. Please check out my other podcasts, Breakfast All Day on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network and Deck the Hallmark, uh, part of the Bramble Gem Network. Um, you can subscribe to this show for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review there. We will read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including um, Spotify and uh, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Google uh, Play. Uh, CastBox, Podbean, uh, Stitcher Radio, uh, the thelounge.com. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. You can fi- keep up with him at bluebleu.bandcamp.com. Follow us on social media at linoleumcast. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com.
1: And before we go, it is currently Monday, March 6th. Yes. We will be back. Uh, with this show next Monday, March 13th, the day after the Academy Awards, Mm -hmm. because we want to talk about them a little bit after the fact. So that's what's going to happen. Likely complaints, but you never know. Maybe some pleasant surprises. There are going to be no complaints from me. I love watching the Academy Awards, and I don't care who wins. Nothing matters. None of the films I super love ever get nominated for anything anyway. So... That's not important to me. I'm there for the coziness. I'm there for uh, the the pasta. Gowns, beautiful gowns. And great gowns, beautiful gowns. That's why I'm there (laughs) on the couch, not at the Academy. Oh, heavens no. That's why I'm there on the couch. Yes. Until next time. Please, I was trying to drive to get my hair cut the other day. Oh, yeah. And my barber is on Hollywood Boulevard. And to get from our house to the barber shop, Traveling via Hollywood Boulevard. You have to go widely around. Impossible. They have already begun setting up everything and blocking off streets and making you (sighs) irritated that you ever decided to move here in the first place. (laughs) It's a nightmare. Until next time. Goodbye.